Well, hi, my name's Rowan, one of the pastors at Auckland EV Church. Uh, we're a church that's excited about Jesus because we really think that knowing our place in history is about knowing our place in his story, Jesus' story. Jesus' story is not just another one of those tales you can take or leave. We're convinced that the claim of the Bible, the claim of human history, is that Jesus is God, that he made you and me, and life lived to its full is only found in him. Life beyond death, life that lasts forever. Now, when it comes to Christmas, I'm actually about as skeptical as you can get. It can seem that sometimes everyone's out to get something. They get me to buy a tree and then a base for a tree and then new decorations. There are parties and presents. Everywhere I turn, I feel like someone wants a piece of something. They want me to give something somewhere. But historically, before commercialization and consumerism got their fingers into Christmas, Christmas was the best news ever. I want to put it to you today that Christmas is the best news ever. Throughout our program today, we've seen so many things in history as we've been taken back into real, verifiable events. Not the stories of myths and movies, but to human history. To the events that, if you and I were there, we could have experienced them too. John, the one who wrote that part of the Bible we we just had read, was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. But what he wrote down, particularly in this section we just saw, wasn't something he just saw, but something he was told from Jesus. John wrote down plenty of things in his gospel that he had seen, events that changed the world. But he begins out in this news, in this gospel, with something out of this world. He introduces us to Jesus as the one who made the world, who made you and who made me. In John 1.1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, before the universe began, before anything else existed, there was someone. John calls him the Word. Now, at first, it seems an odd way to introduce anyone, the Word. (laughs) But when you see what he's done, it starts to make sense. See, One of the things I love to do in my spare time is is watch those reality TV shows that showcast people's talent. You know, X Factor, World Idol, The Voice. There are two things that I love about these sort of shows. The first one is the awkwardness of someone who thinks they can sing and finding out in front of the judges and the world that they were very clearly mistaken. It's just classic. I don't know what it is. It's, It's attractive. But the second thing, and the main reason I love them, is the thrill of looking for that undiscovered person. The person who might be the, the next voice of the, of the next 20 or 30 years. The person who no one has known before, but then they open their mouth and everyone says, this is it. This is the voice we've all been waiting for. <laughs> well, as John starts his letter, he grounds all of history, all of human history in one source. And he calls him the word, the voice. Now, I don't know what you think of Jesus. But the thing that his best friend thought was the most important to tell us is that Jesus is the voice. He's not the next pop hit voice, but the voice behind every voice, the voice. The voice everyone needs to hear is the voice of none other than God himself. In the beginning was the word, the voice, John says, the one who defines everything. That's what John's talking about. John's not some crazy stalker writing some clickbait story for the press. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. He knew him. 
Now I can tell you, none of my close friends think I'm God. My guess is none of yours too either, right? The closer you get to someone, the more you see our failings. But for John, the one who, who knew Jesus, who saw it all, who saw what Jesus did and heard what he said, he saw him walk the walk, not just talk the talk. For this man, in real human history, John was convinced Jesus was God. In the beginning, John says, was the word Jesus. And he was with God and he was God. As we come to this time of year at Christmas, this is why we celebrate Jesus. What makes him so special is what he does. Look with me at verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. At this moment, the one that we're introduced to in this letter that John has written to us is the one who made us. The one who created you and me, who created the world that we live in. Like estranged children meeting their parents for the first time, in these words, we meet our maker. That's why Jesus' story is actually your story. That's why it's so important to see this story of human history about Jesus because our place is key in it. John's claim is that Jesus is the author of life. That everything that exists, everything was created by him. Now, our modern minds, they, they, they go to, well, how did he do it? Over 13.2 billion years, or was it six days? I wonder what the, the answer to that question is. But that's not the question John thinks is important for you and I to know. What he thinks is important, knowing Jesus, seeing what he'd seen, wanting to record for all of human history, irrespective of how he did it, is that Jesus is the one who did it. He created everything. Christmas is the time we celebrate the creator coming to earth, walking amongst us. John goes on to tell us in verse four, in him was life and that life was the light of men. This word, this voice, this one who is from the beginning is the author of life. Life is found only in him. We chase so many other things in our lives, don't we? Comfort, security, all sorts of things all over the place to give us fulfillment and satisfaction. And and, and often we come up short. Often we're frustrated. John is telling us there is no other source, no other cause, no other foundation of life than Jesus. Let me put it another way. Without Jesus, there is nothing. He's not an optional extra to life, the kind of thing you need like a crutch to get by on. He's the cause of life. And the reason for it, he made you, he made me, he made everything. Listen to the way Genesis 1 records what God did. Genesis 1, 2 says these words. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. At the very beginning, the world was dark. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. And without this word that John introduces us to, this one who is called the light, without his word, all of us would be in the dark. Actually, darkness is all there would be without God. There would be nothing. As we celebrate Christmas today, it's worth remembering that we're celebrating life. Not just the new birth of an influential baby, nor the birth of influential ideas. 
We're celebrating the word who brought life. We're celebrating Jesus, the God who made us. And we're celebrating him because of what John tells us next. It it blows me away. You ready? We celebrate Jesus because of what it says in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe the glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. God stepped into our world. Sound like Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism. Christianity, it's not an ism. It's not a philosophy or some sort of moral compass to tell me what to do in life. It's not a 10 step way to to be better or, or, or to have a more fulfilled life. Christianity is actually about an event that happened in history. It's about real history. It rises or falls on the claim that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus stepped onto the world stage and changed history forever. It wasn't merely man, but those who knew him, those who saw him, they were willing to die for this testimony. They were convinced that God had met them in the person of Jesus. Let me read to you from Josephus, a Roman historian from the first century, who was not a Christian and not a friend of Christians. He says this, At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die and those who'd become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he'd appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah or the promised king concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Now, this is the history that Josephus wrote down, that Jesus was a real guy who really lived, who really died, and that people followed as God's promised king. They were convinced he was God in the flesh. At Christmas, this is what we celebrate. God become flesh. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. The word used here is actually tabernacled, which is weird. To the non-Jew, it doesn't mean much. What is tabernacled? It just means tented. The word that became flesh and tented amongst us. What is that talking about? Well, for the Jew, the first century here, everyone knew about the word tabernacle. That was the tent that God had the Israelites put together. And it was the place that God dwelt with his people. God was there amongst the midst of his people in this tent. And, And John wants us to see that Jesus... He's not just popping into the world for a visit to check on his creation and see how it's kind of gone. Like a builder does at the end of their building inspection. Just looks around. Yeah, I did a pretty good job. Know that what is happening here is that God, the creator and sustainer of all things, has become man. Imagine seeing God. Like, What would you do if you actually saw God? The day Jesus came to town was the day that God turned up. That's why there are so many Christmas carols. That's why we've celebrated this story in in this kind of program today. It's that people across the ages have been so captivated with the idea that God would become flesh and dwell amongst us. They've been so amazed with their author and maker that they respond to him in song and lots of them. That's why we have carols. But so what? What's the significance of, of God coming to town? What's it got to do with you and me? Well, verse 12 in John 1 tells us, it says this, But to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. 
to those who believe in his name. Jesus came so that you and I might believe in him. Now, belief is just such a loaded term. We're so often told to believe in all sorts of things. Believe in yourself. Believe in Santa Claus or believe in this way to make money or or believe this report that's been written about this property. There are so many times we're told to believe others. The word belief really just means to trust, to rely, to depend. What John is saying is not some super spiritual thing. Just have faith. Just believe. He's saying that those who trust and rely and depend that Jesus is God, those who recognize that the word who created the universe, has become flesh, will trust, will rely, will depend that he is the only way to have life, to have life to the full, to have life that lasts forever. The only other option for us is to reject his claim. You can believe, to trust, rely, or depend, or you can reject that he is God. He's, he's not God. You can reject that it, it doesn't even really matter to you. You can reject what he, what he offers us. But if he is the true and living God, to reject reject Jesus is to reject life itself. He's the one who made us. He's the one who gives us life that lasts forever. What we see through the, the rest of the book of John, which is really worth reading at some point, maybe this Christmas, sit down and read the book of John in the Bible. But what we see through the rest of the book of John is that we're all in the darkness. None of us have treated God as he deserved We've all rejected him. I'm no better than you. You're no better than the person who comes after you or the person who's gone before you. All of us are guilty of ignoring God, whether that's been just politely disregarding him, not really giving him an active part in our lives, or maybe actively rejecting him, saying, I want nothing to do with him. But here's the thing. If we ignore and disregard and reject the one who gives life, then we're rejecting life itself. He's the one that sustains the universe. He's the one that gives us all we have. But that's what all of us have done. We've all turned our backs on God. We've said, no thanks. We've treated him like a a power company. We've just kind of ignored the letters he sent us and what he's done for us. And we've just gone on with life, expecting the power to stay on, (laughs) the lights to still work. But if we keep rejecting the true and living God, then there will come a point where he will say, that's enough. When we reach death, if we have not trusted in him. No, we all deserve death because we reject the God who gives life. But when Jesus stepped on to the world platform, he never turned his back on his father. He was the perfect human. And when he died, he died for us as a substitute in our place, offering to take our place, not because we deserved it or we were worth it, not because of anything we'd done. He went, oh, those people, they're, they're not too bad. Or that guy, Rowan, he, he really tried hard. No. He did it because he loved us. Because of nothing to do with me and you. You can't work your way into being pleased, pleasing God. You can't work your way to be good enough for God. No one can, but only Jesus has been. God has not forced us to love him. He's given you and me the option to trust, to rely, to depend on Jesus' death in our place. Jesus says in John 5, these words, verse 24. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. He says again in John 8 verse 12, he says these words, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. At the start of this passage, we heard from John that the word became flesh and took up residence amongst us so he could die in our place, so we could respond to him. (laughs) Here's the crazy thing. Even though Jesus made the world and sustains the world, the world, you and I, we don't naturally recognize him. We think we, we don't need him. We think we can do life without him. Look at verse 10 of chapter one. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. See, we're so hell bent on living our own lives that we, we miss God become flesh. We fail to see the significance of Christmas. We fail to trust, to rely, to depend on what Jesus has done in dying in our place. We fail to see what is on offer for us. Let me read verse 12 again for you. But to all who did receive him, who do trust him and rely on him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. What is on offer this Christmas? What Jesus has done is offer you and me the opportunity to become a child of God. A few years ago, I heard of the Governor General of Australia had a big party and invited 30 homeless children from a children's home into his family home for Christmas. Right, they were given the full Christmas dinner and presents and kind of treated as part of the family. They pulled out all the stops for these kids. I heard an interview on TV with one of the boys. This kid was over the moon. His face was beaming, like the house was so big. He's talking about the amazing food that they had and the pool, how great it was. He says to the, the TV interviewer, you know, the governor general even lent me his, his togs so I could swim in his pool. And then the interviewer, it's kind of a throwaway line, made this comment to the boy. He said, oh, you know, could you wish for anything more? And quick as a flash, the kid said, yeah, I wish you'd adopt me. See? Adoption means all the things that were offered would be this kid's, would be his for all time. And here, what John is saying Jesus offers is that by trusting in him, you become like Jesus as a a child of God. You become one of God's own children and, and, and inherit the reality of what he has of life that goes on forever. You become part of his family. If you trust Jesus, if you recognize who he is and, and what he's done, then you've gone from being enemies, dead, hostile to God, rejecting him and not able to please him and deserving of his right anger, to calling him dad and inheriting everything that is his. Now, it's one thing for a guilty person to be acquitted, but it's another for a guilty person to be adopted into God's family. If you don't know Jesus, none of that is yours. He's your creator. He will be your judge, but he isn't your dad. This Christmas, it'd be a tragic mistake to see who Jesus really is, to hear the news of what John says, to look at history and his story and see your place in it and then walk away. To think you've got a better view of life, a better way to live life than listening to the author of life. 
I want you to imagine for a moment, you're in your high school English class. Now maybe that's a horrific memory for you. I certainly have some horrific memories of high school English. But you're there with a bunch of people sitting around at a table commenting on the meaning of a poem you just read together. You know, the teacher then turns and asks everyone, so what does this poem mean? Now, my experience of English is that no matter how weird or wild your opinion is on what the poem's talking about, as long as it was cognate, the teacher will say, well, thanks for sharing your opinion. Because, you know, everybody's opinion is of equal authority. <laughs> but what would happen if at the very moment you were explaining what the poem meant, the author of the poem walked in, opened up the poem and said, my name is so-and-so, I wrote this, this is what it means. I'll tell you what had happened. And it'd be the end of the discussion about what the poem actually meant because the author is the authority on their work. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the word authority has as its root the word author. Right? The author is the one who speaks with authority. And when the author speaks, nobody has anything else to say. I mean, you can't say, no, you didn't mean that when you wrote it. <laughs> the choice we all have to make this Christmas is this. Who are you going to... Let define your life? Who are you going to let determine how you live and, and what is good? Are you going to be one of the people who says, look, I'm the only one who's got the right to tell me what to do with my life? Or are you going to recognize that there is an author of life? That a great cost has stepped into our world and died in our place and said, come follow me, come trust me. The thing that we miss is that none of us are the authors of our own lives. We didn't make ourselves. We barely understand ourselves, how our bodies work, what we're really thinking and why we do what we do and how we can respond to sickness and how we can make choices and decisions in the world around us. When it comes to life, we're like school kids sitting around a table commenting on someone else's work. But Christmas at its core, it's the time that we celebrate the author of life walking into the room. Jesus is the only one with authority to show us what life is about. He was there in the beginning and everything was made through him and for him. Now, the choice we have to make is this. Will you recognize your place in his story? Jesus is the author of life, of your life. He's the key to life, to life that does not end. The past two years have been Horrific for pretty much everyone on the face of the planet. The fear of death, the threat of sickness, financial ruin, distrust of authorities, division of people. I mean, we're living in a nation that feels the most divided I've certainly ever experienced in the 40 years of my life that I've ever seen. You know, one of the most repeated phrases I've heard this year is, it is what it is. Have you heard that? It is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to move forward and hope for the best. There's a sense where that's right. It is what it is. But I want to put it to you today. The season that we're in allows us a moment's reflection on what we're actually in control of. And it's not much, is it? It is what it is. We can't really change anything. We can't wish a COVID pandemic away. We can't wish health to change. We can't wish security and comfort on ourselves. We're living in a world that we have hardly any control over at all. But what Christmas does is introduce us to the one who is in control. The one who made the world and is bringing it to its completion. He is the light of this dark world, the one where life is found. As we reflect this Christmas on the year that's been, we do have one choice. Will we trust ourselves to determine our future? 
Or will we trust the God who made us, the one who died for us? John says to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. This Christmas is my hope that all of us will see, maybe for the first time or maybe afresh, that Jesus' story is the story of human history. It is human history. And my challenge is this. What in this world is more dependable, more trustworthy, more worthy of my attention than the God who made me and who stepped into the world to die in my place and who offers me life that does not end? This Christmas is the answer to COVID. It's the thing that puts COVID into perspective and helps me to see that this life is not all there is. Security, comfort, joy are not found here and now, but in knowing the God who made us and the life that is our inheritance that will last forever if we come and put our lives in his hands. Let me ask you today, what does Christmas mean to you? Maybe that's something you want to ask those who are gathered with you today and chat about later. What does Christmas mean to you? Maybe this Christmas might be the time you see afresh the God who made you, who loves you, who stepped in the world and died in your place. And that by believing in him, by trusting his death in your place, this Christmas you might have life, certainty, security, that life beyond death is yours. Why don't you let me pray for you in this? I'd love to pray that God would help us to see Jesus afresh this Christmas and that by seeing who he is, we might have life that does not end in his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you made us, that Jesus created all, that he then came and stepped on the earth stage and and, and lived and died in our place as the perfect human. We thank you so much that though we are not in control, that though we feel so powerless to be able to change much at the moment, we know you are the God who has loved us and has provided the solution to death in Jesus. We pray this Christmas that by your spirit, you would reveal yourself to us so that we might know who Jesus is. We might see him clearly and we might trust him. We might rely on him. We might see that he is the king over all the one in whom we follow, the one in whom we live for. Would you help us this Christmas to see Jesus afresh as the one whose story matters most? And would you help us to play our part in his story by trusting him now while we still can and enjoying life forever that does not end? We pray this in his great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.